Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Wednesday morning to you. Mike McNamara for Wednesday edition of All Marine Radio. Yeah, apologize for the uh, for the crappy audio yesterday. Yeah, all 12 minutes of it. But uh, shit happens. That's right. The Mensa brothers, two of them will join me today. So That'll happen in about 12 minutes. Yeah. Um, headed for North Carolina on Saturday. Fired up about that. Colleen's going with me. Fired up about that. Get to see my grandson and my daughter-in-law. Fired up about that. Um, and having to create a new class. Uh, the post-radicalian class is about four hours long. And I struggle to keep it at four hours, honestly. It's too much shit, man. Too much shit. It's essentially in five parts. So, the first part is the opening, which is which is not a small part of class. You know, it's like, oh, you know, welcome. Well, yeah, kind of. You know, hi, thanks for being here. <laughs> Uh, I know you don't want to be here. And they all laugh. <laughs> I know you fucking hate this stuff. And then they, they start laughing. And um, you don't want to be here for one second. I know that. So um, so then I played that Scent of a Woman video. And, uh, and I tell them, I said, you know, the importance of you being here today is you're going to leave here with tools and your people here are going to save people's lives. And there's going to be people that, that live on this earth because of people in here today and what they learn and what they do. I said, so 
uh, I said, the other thing I, I'm going to tell you is I'd like to be that guy who says, hey, you know, we're supposed to be here for, t- you know, three hours, but we're really going to be here for like an hour and, f- you know, 15 minutes. Yeah, I said, I'm not that guy. We're going to be here for a while. I said, but at the end of the day, it's going to be worth it. So uh, so then I play the uh, Sense of a Woman video, and I say, what if, you know, he, he talks about there is no prosthetic for an amputated spirit. I said, what if there is? What if I could teach you to do that? So, so it's not insignificant, you know. I think it's huge that that what, what in the first part of this thing, what I try to do is is the restoration of hope. Okay, and I and I articulate it such as, you know, when you bad things happen, you know, you're kind of in the valley of the shadow of death, and you're hoping that you can get through it. Well, I'm going to take that hope away. I'm going to replace it with certainty. I'm going to give you a path, and you're not going to have to hope anymore. And that is the restorative process, that restoring their belief that there is a way through it when most of them have been dealing with it for a while and they don't know that there is a path. So so the opening's, you know, uh, the opening's powerful. I talk about, uh, for the first time, I, I, I had a slide that had the uh, Marine's tattoo of Psalm 23 uh, in it and telling me that, I was going to kill myself, but I'm not going to. You know, I talk about Stacy's story. Um, you know, uh, her husband dies, and and she's offered by the Air Force and the Space Force every, you know, whatever you need. And the only thing she has in her head is post-traumatic winning. Uh, I talk about Tim, my friend, who's been, um, you know, sexually assaulted three different times in his life and uh, and what that did to his life and where he is today. So I talk about the power of it. Then I talk about resources. The stuff they're going to see is all my website, so feel free to use it uh, for PMEs and stuff like that. I talk about the general situation. I talk about data. You know, what o- really opens the door for leaders is they see the data that comes out of where I come, wherever I go and speak. And I talk about segment division. I talk about second mall and uh, inspector general comments. I talk about um, us. Who are we here today? Um I talk about what a serious mental illness is and that 95% of us in the country don't have it. 98% of us inside the DOD don't have it. So virtually nobody here today has a serious mental illness. And if you don't, then you can understand this. If you can understand this, then you can do it. I said, and that's important for you to understand. Um, I talk about who's sitting in the room and I go through those percentages. 43% of DOD, you know, of active duty people in a study said that there was emotional abuse, 34% alcohol abuse, 27% domestic violence, you know, 12% somebody incarcerated living in their home, 11% said they were touched sexually. I said in every one of those numbers is higher, not in, in like by one or two points, by, you know, I would say 10 to 15 points in the Marine Corps because we are the destination of tough people. And how do you become tough? Why do you become tough? You become tough because most of the time life requires it. So I talk about that. So to me, as I paint this picture for them, um, and then I talk about active duty suicide, and then I kind of broaden the lens since I've talked about their, you know, adverse childhood experiences, you know, and then I talk about active duty suicide. Then I talk about veteran suicide. And you paint this broader picture for them, that it starts when we're young, we don't know how to deal with it. We come in and we serve, and then we get out. And our veteran suicide peaks between 55 and 74. 
So I paint this that picture for them. Then I then I talk about the environment they came from, which lied to them, right? Um, I talk about the impact of cell phones on, and isolation. Um, I talk about the paths we traveled down, right? First, we learned to fake it. Then, you know, we learned to drink, and alcohol is introduced into our lives. And we, and we learn how to self-medicate. And that is the way that the majority of us deal with our trauma. We fake it, and we drink. Then I talk about how the class comes to be, right, after I'd done All Marine Radio for a couple of years. And that has brought me to this fourth path, right? And then I talk about, so what is post-traumatic winning? Um, it's based on one premise, that is Frankl's premise, that you can't, res- you, you can't control what comes into your life. You can control the way you respond to it. Um, so I talk about two distinct paths. One is endurance, and that is the one that the VA and the DOD, you know, that is one they sell. And the other one is to transform those experiences, and that is what post-traumatic winning is all about. Then I talk about the truth, uh, my Kanye West quote, right? The truth lands with a thud and needs no salesman. And uh, and I tell them that, that the truth is so important to post-traumatic winning because, I, and, I, and I tell them about Matt Kiker looking up at me the first time I ever met him. And he said, does it ever stop hurting? And I looked at him and I said, no, never. And he said, that's what I knew, that I wanted to talk to you because you're the first person that said that shit to me. And I knew it was true. And then I that kind of leads into the Stockdale paradox. And that is, you know, two really important points. One, never waver in your belief that you will prevail. But I ask, how do you, if, if you don't know this fourth path exists, and none of you do, you're down there in the valley of the shadow of death, hoping and groping you get through, right? Some of you medicated, trying to get through this shit. And then the the second part of the Stockdale paradox is is confronting the truth. I said, so that's what we'll do today. So that's part one. Part two is the three goals and ten commandments. All right. So I, I go through that. And then part three is tools for leaders, how these things apply to leaders. And then creating an environment that breeds winning, right? So that you, uh, and I tell them, imagine this, an environment in which multiple people around you, lots of people around you have talked about their shit and you know you can, you know, talk to all kinds of people, you know, uh, relative to your problems, okay? That you've rearranged the people near you. you pushed the people that are toxic away. you brought the people that are not toxic closer, right? That you, you understand wellness better and you know how to do it, right? You're on a, essentially a path to live a great life. If you won't do those things, if you won't live with self-discipline, if you don't understand what it is to coexist with trauma, you're going to wind up in a ditch. And that is the path of most people. And then I, I show them tools to include the warrior wellness octagon. And then the last part is winning. And, you know, I, I essentially tell the story of how Libby taught me this stuff. I didn't learn this stuff from Victor Frankl. I learned it from Libby. Um... I talk about the Grinch. I, I tell my story about going into Macy's and, and that woman um, asking me, could you teach me? And, I, and then telling me, I don't know why God sent you into my life today, but I needed to meet you. And uh, and then I talk about how Frankel would explain it. And then, um, then I talk about the Hanoi Hilton, the secret of what happened at the Hanoi Hilton. 
uh, how they come home with a 4% rate of PTSD and everybody else in Vietnam comes home with a 30% rate of PTSD. What happened there? Um, and so then, then when I close it, you know, I emphasize certain points. Make no mistake, we choose how we respond to this stuff. Now that you understand that there's a fourth path, you have a choice to make. Okay, and once we know that, once we know that we can prevail, confronting the truth gets easier. And then I talk about how special the culture of the Marine Corps is because the people that, that look at a challenge like the Marine Corps, a tough challenge like the Marine Corps, and say, I'll try that. That's a different group of people. That they're now uh, armorers in the armory that sits at the entrance of the Valley of the Shadow of Death. They can arm themselves with a rod, a staff, a map, and a compass, and they can raw, they can uh, get through that thing. They can get out of that valley. And they could also be a guide. Right? They are guides and outfitters in the Valley of the Shadow of Death, essentially is what they are. I talk about, so you understand the prosthetic process now. You understand the limb re- replacement process now. And then I tell them, look, I get asked, uh, the final thing I say to them, I get asked, like, how did, how did you come up with this? And I joke about, I'm so smart, right? And I said, look, there is no other way. This is the way. And I put that, that picture of the Mandalorian up and they laugh. Um, but it's the truth. It's the way. And so I've got it. That's about a four-hour with, you know, probably two 10-minute breaks. So it's about a three-hour and 45-minute class with a couple of breaks in it um and uh i've got to cut that down now to two and a half hours so i have to reimagine the class i'm not exactly sure how i do that but i'm (laughs) i'm going to i'm going to reimagine the class um because i can't you know i i can't um i can't condense it anymore although i i stayed up late last night um I stayed up late last night trying to, doing this outline. It's about a four-page outline. And um, and so in an attempt to reimagine the class. So uh, joining me here momentarily is going to be Jeff Kenny. So we'll find out. Uh, Jeff's been. And then I think Tim Lynch going to join me too. Okay, you're on, so don't say anything stupid, okay? Not that okay. you not that you would ever say anything stupid. I'm I'm dangerous that way. I know, hey, trust me. Good advice. You're talking to somebody who is gifted. Okay. <laughs> Straight up gifted in the like you know so my friends uh will say to me when they call me, um as soon as they say hello, if I'm on speakerphone, they say, I'll say hello. And they're like, Mac, you're on speaker. I'm like, thank you. Right? That's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a noble and important thing to do. Right. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, right. And they know me. They know me. So Timmy is, uh, is not answering his phone. I'm not exactly sure what's Uh-oh. going on with him. So, but he's always somewhat like communications challenged. It says he's up on Skype, but he's uh, 
He's not. Do you want to update us on your medical uh, conditions? You're like going to doctors, getting medications. Well, What's going on with you? Turns out my appointment's at 10 uh, Pacific time. So I'm okay, I think, for this podcast all the way through. And uh, oh. so, but I'm just getting, it's a normal physical, as normal as it can be in the age of COVID. Because it's over the telephone. I had to do all the, you know, urine urine tests and blood draw and all that stuff. On your phone? Moment, so. On your, your phone? How did you do that? No, did you like I, urinate well, it? You that. urinated into your phone? I, I have done that, but uh, not on purpose. <laughs> and and, uh, and never, be- <laughs> never before midnight. No, I did that at the, at the actual VA last month. So, uh, so you know, unless I've developed some kind of COVID um, super disease in the interim, we'll see. But uh, hey, one thing I was going to ask you is, do you know the individual we spoke about? Uh, should he get a hold of you, or should I give you his number? Give me his yeah. Give give me his number. Okay, I'll text you his number when we're finished here, or while we're going. Joining us now from McAllen, Texas, is the one and only Tim Lynch. But it says we have a weak connection. Timmy, are you there? Tim Lynch is not there. Well, he's trying. Joining us now from McAllen, Texas, is the one and only Tim Lynch. Tim, are you there? Tim is not there. I don't know what's going on. So, anyway. Um, what was I going to tell you? Where were we? Oh, we were talking about all your, your fragile medical condition. Yes. Are you, now, do you, are, you having, are you struggling mentally with this? Because you've always been a robust, devil-may-care kind of a man. Well, yes, and I'm not quite that anymore. But uh, <laughs> I'm still pretty good. But uh, it's just your normal, you know... Uh, your normal checkup, but there's a couple of things that alarm me. Like I'm going blind in one eye, and uh, <laughs> I'm not really going blind. I got like clouds across my right eye, and uh, you know it's, I don't, it's okay though. You know I can deal with it. But I just want to. I might have to get. Well, wait a minute. What is it? Is it from why one eye? Because of your 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 wounds or something? Like why only one eye? Is it um, is it glaucoma? Is that is that it? Is that what? I hope not. That's what I got to find out about. So God. there's that. And then there's, uh, you know, uh, otherwise I'm the same. You know, so it's no big deal. I just want to keep my finger on the pulse here of this thing. Oh, really? Because everybody I know is getting, there's a lot of people I know who are getting sick. You know, my next door neighbor is like 10 years younger than me. He got a lump on his throat. He Now he's got, tur- he's got like stage four, uh, you know, throat cancer. I'm like, holy cow. You know, so it's like uh, it, the, 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 you know, the lesson is always, uh, you know, keep up with your appointments and stuff like that and get checked. Tim Lynch, so. Tim Lynch, I think, joined us. Tim, I, I, are you I, there? I am here, my friend. I, I had to, I'm hot spotting through my phone. Oh. My internet connection was too weak for some reason. Is that why that happened? You know, yeah. Jeff's telling a story about the throat. This is how, fu- this is how fucked your brain is. Okay, it reminds me of an incident in Afghanistan where we have we have Marines on a and these are the frustrating things that just um, are really uh, I don't even know how to say them. You just they're really really terrible memories. And um, we have you know Marines out doing their shit right. Uh, Get a report. You know, these guys are, you know, have uh, in a coordinate search, you know, found IDs at the entrance of a, of a compound, blah, 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 blah. And they know where there's one, there's many. And so they're doing their thing. 
kid in, uh, kid in charge the the patrol is a, is just been promoted. He's meritorious corporal uh, from the state of New York, and uh, um, so EOD's in route. Right, so you know I'm me. I'm just babysitting it, right? And uh, they're doing their thing, and everything's normal. And then all of a sudden, you know, here come standby for nine line urgent medevac, and you're like, fuck. And um, and so you so you know I'm sitting there and you're watching the Merc, the the chat between the company and the battalion, and um, and we used to watch that stuff so we could be proactive, right? Hey, this is coming, right? And not have to wait for somebody to you know put the right copy and paste or put the right format and all the rest of that shit. So anyway, um, urgent medevac, blah blah blah. You know he's crashing, and you're like. So most of, for those of you who don't know, most of our, most of our wounds, right, from IDs were extremity wounds, right, lower extremity wounds or upper and upper extremity wounds, depending on proximity and angle of the blast, and so, um, somebody crashing, you're like, what the fuck? We don't even have a chance now. What's going on? And and um, and then they from the battalion they sent back, you know, can you restore his breathing? And you got, I remember, this is such a fucked memory. Uh, stand by. Uh, they're trying. Um, but it's his throat. Yeah. And you're just going, no, he was down fucking with the ID when it went off. Because this was not the first time it fucking happened. I just remember... You know, and we had given classes. Don't once you find it, don't fuck with it. Okay, I know it's hot, and I know you want to get your guys home, but is it worth your life? Because of the last, uh, I can't remember, thirty guys that we lost. I would tell you that twenty-one were our fault in relative to continuing actions and being disciplined, doing stuff that taking a shortcut, doing stuff that we, you know, that. We weren't supposed to do stuff we knew better, but in somebody's mind, they were taking care of their men by getting them out of the heat because we'd already been out for four hours. EOD is going to come. That's going to extend this thing for two hours. We're low on water. My squad leader did this for us. So what he had done was he took his knife out and he was interrogating, you know, the ID with his, with his K bar and he, and he functioned the pressure plate. And you, it's just, I mean, fucking awful. Anyway, thanks, Jeff. Appreciate that. <laughs> hey, I've got an IED story that's the exact opposite. Oh, <laughs> please tell it. Oh, so I'm, I'm, I'm riding around with a skipper whose name is Ralph Ward, who's a former Navy EOD guy who was the only outside-the-wire EOD mentor training Afghans in uh, the eastern Eastern region. He had a, a, he was always at the compound Thursday night for uh, only two beers. It's the only time he'd drink. He was a great guy, very superstitious, very religious. But one day I had to go down to Kogiani and he was going down there. And so we, I just rode along with him and uh, we got, we, we were, we were on the road and we stopped and, we, and he's looking and his, his guys, about half guys behind us are looking. Cause I smell, I smell leaves and, and cut grass. And he looks at me, and goes, somebody just laid off an IED. Smell that? And we go creeping up to a bridge, and there's a bunch of locals there. 
and then sure enough, some guy had set an IED in the bridge at a, a Using a tire jack, put one of those stupid pressure cookers up right underneath the uh, right right up against the road, right. underneath the uh, um, the road there, and so uh, and then he had spooled the wire and then detonated something and he was back there and they said they had his pieces back there. We'll get a wheelbarrow and get him. So, so Ralph goes, oh, this is cool. So he gets out the the angle on uh, one of our search places and he hits it with a flashlight and we look in there and sure as shit, there it is. It's sitting right there, and he calls into uh, uh, Fenty calls into the regional command, says he's found an ID. They told him to hold in place until they send the uh, a REACT team to go out and get it. And Ralph goes, That's a ways yeah, away, uh, man. No. Yeah, yeah. And, and, Ralph, and Ralph goes, yeah, like, right. And he puts it down. I said, so what are we going to do? He goes, oh, we're going to blow this thing. I'm not waiting for them. We can't close the road <laughs> like that. And so he gets out a five-gallon uh, uh, a water can, a bunch of C4 and a cardboard, and he, uh, and, he, and he molds the C4 up and he puts it on the cardboard. He sends some kids down to fill up the water jug to the top. Then the Afghans kind of rig it and they're down there making a big production of getting this thing in front of the, uh, the, in front of the, uh, um, the drainage hole, right? And then they get they, they clear. And, and me and Ralph, are, we're just sitting there watching this. He has folding chairs for this exact thing. We're watching. There's got to be 200, 300 Afghans now around us because the traffic's all stopped. And they go, say, one, two, three, they blow this thing. And it, you know, so the uh, the the water inerts the, uh, the the demo. It just blows it right out the uh, right out the other side with all the water that was that was right, went up behind it. it was like a a gigantic water cannon that I just remember this this rainbow of color where, and this giant wave shoots out and hits the trees and the frigging kids were dancing. Everybody's shaking hands with the Afghan EOD guys. And Ralph turns to me and goes, <laughs> "Can you believe we get paid to do this shit?" And I'm like, man, because it was just frigging cool. It was just funnier than shit. They all ignored us. It was let, he let the Afghans do the work. He just he just molded the C4 and gave him the blasting cap. So that's 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 how the outside that's of the a, wire. That is, a, that is a good story. I like that. Yeah, it was cool, man. That damn water shot out of there. It was amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, truth be told, that's a you know that became one of the techniques that got used of, you know, how to, uh, you know, how to how to uh, attack uh, an ID with a lot of times with robots, they'd use a water charge, right, attempting to yep. dis- dislocate the igniter from the from the from the ID itself, and uh, and you get a fair amount a fair distance away when you do that shit, but uh, yeah, 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 Jeff. Other than other than running over them. Um, I mean, I mean, really, IDs. You know, they started for us in Iraq, right? With uh, you know, road, roadside, and they were mostly artillery rounds that had been had been you know stolen from ammunition supply points and and uh, and and dumps um, after, well, yeah. after the after the fall of the government, and then. You know, you found them, and initially they were uh, activated by cell phones. You know, you, you take a cell phone, and the wire that runs to the speaker, you run that to a blasting cap, and then you wait till somebody's driving by. And uh, when the 82nd Airborne was there in 2003 after the war and in, into the first two months of 2004, they would, ha- they would hang these things. Uh, they would hang these things on the back of, uh, of the guardrails on the interstate. And so by the time we got there, I remember we're driving towards Ramadi and there's these mountains of guardrails on the side of the interstate. And you're like, what's that? And they're like, oh, they used to hang IDs on the back of those. So simple solution, simple, you know, simple problem, simple solution. We tore all the guardrails down. 
And then, and then it was this constant evolution of, okay, now they're going to bury them, right? And uh, and they're still using cell cell phones. And so mm-hmm. now we create jammers. They 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 begin to understand it. They offset the cell phone, right? Our radius is fifty meters. The cell phones are at seventy five meters. We get stronger jammers. So it's this kind of men against tank spiraling of technology. Yeah. Exactly right. Right, right. right. Any, uh, and then, but Afghanistan was very different in terms of, you know, uh, explosives. They used uh, HME, homemade explosives, uh, in a lot of plastic containers. As Timmy just said, they used pressure cookers. um, And uh, and they would, uh, a lot of pressure, yeah, a lot of pressure plates. um, And then they used directional fragmentation charges, which would be aimed at the upper thigh, the pelvis region. Um, and it'd be offset from the pressure plate. Uh, so, um, so yeah, kind of the spectrum of <clears throat> IDs, and then, and then the Iranians supplied, and that's why that fuck Soleimani. You know, I, I don't know why America didn't hold a celebration uh, because that guy uh, two days ago, three days ago, because that fucker. I mean, uh, he killed a lot of Marines and soldiers in Afghanistan. With those pressure plates, a lot of uh, I'm sorry in Iraq, and a lot of Iraqi soldiers. Those things were fucking deadly, deadly, deadly. So anyway, Jeff, thoughts on uh, IDs and the evolution of IDs and in the course of both theaters? Yeah, uh, you know it can be said that the, uh, the most effective Asian army ever in the 20th century was the North Vietnamese Army, trained by the U.S. military, and the same thing can be said about uh, the effectiveness of the improvised explosive device in Iraq and Afghanistan. They're trained by the U.S. government. And by that, I mean that uh, there's no, um, there's not the, the moral courage to do what needed to be done to win that war. Uh, and so consequently, we just did half measures and local uh, you know, mitigation things like you mentioned. And uh, they just got better at making IEDs. And you're always going to lose that fight. Because an IED is always cheaper than the mitigators you have to avoid, you know, the consequences of the IED. So consequently, you know, uh, they were experts at taking advantage of the fact that to defend the country, Saddam had made these huge dumps of 155 rounds, and that was their main artillery piece, you know, all over uh, Iraq, particularly in places uh, where he thought he might have to shoot artillery into built-up areas to quell civil disturbance, because that's their method. I mean, that's what, you know, uh, Assad did, you know, to, in, uh, in, uh, in Syria, and that's what Saddam was planning to do. So that every big city had huge piles of uh, 155 rounds just laying out there. Yeah. You didn't have to steal them. You could just drive up and get them. And, and because the military genius Donald Rumsfeld would not allow us to have the manpower to cover the ground so that we could walk and do patrols, we didn't have the manpower to get rid of those artillery rounds. And uh, and so consequently, these guys would go, like the ID that hit me was two 155 rounds. And uh, superfluously, they had a, uh, a, uh, a propane tank that was loaded with garbage, like um, you know, a couple mortar rounds, some Semtex. It actually made it less effective. If they just had one or two 155 rounds, they would have killed all of us. As it was, it, 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 was, it went off. It blew the vehicle into the air, but uh, and it dismembered the um, the guy sitting behind me. But the rest of us, although we were wounded, you know, obviously we lived. And uh, so, 
that was uh well hold on that was what happened Wait, during what? That. That thing, hey jeff what 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 mitigated the blast the mitigated the blast was the fact it was a sloppy ied it okay. was buried it was buried you know in the it was a dirt road and it was buried in the uh, in the road but the guy tried to set it off with uh like you said a base station and uh i had hooked up with uh seventh marines uh regimental commander's psd and there's me and my vehicle and some Iraqi vehicles, and they. Okay, hold on, you know, hold, hold on. Just so PSD is a pers- personal security personal security detail, detail for the, right. So they're doing the security for the regimental commander rolling around. All right. Right. Uh-huh. He was he was doing battlefield circuit, and we came to Dulab, which is a town uh, outside of Al Assad on the Euphrates River, and um, it was a town at. Uh, and and know, just so everybody knows. Bled. There's a gigantic ammunition dump between Al Assad, yeah. right on the yeah. on, right off the highway, right. A gigantic I- I- ammunition, as Jeff said, just rounds dumped in the dirt, piles yeah. of them uh, on the uh, on the right hand side as you're headed into Huseba right. from Al Assad. I and I went there. Right. I went there with General Kelly. Because we got told, or he heard, that this was being used to smuggle rounds down the river. Because it's right on the river. It's between the, mm-hmm. the interstate and the river. And so so we go into it. We drive into it with his PSD. Dan Robertson was his uh, lieutenant. And uh, we get out, we're walking around, and there's, all these dudes are driving around in skip loaders. Right? Yeah. And there's one guy driving it, and like nine guys sitting in the skip loader. And you're like... This doesn't. You don't see this in the United States very often. And there's one dude with a bloody hand, and you look like and General Kelly's like, <laughs> "What happened to him?" And the the guy who could, the only guy who could speak partly American, said, "He not careful enough." Like, oh, yeah. all, right, all right, all right. Anyway, continue. Well, anyways, the, because you know, a reasonable person might say, "Why don't we shoot a battery six into the ammo dump? Why don't we drop fuel or explosives on it?" Well, because the greatest ally the Muj and later the Taliban have, or actually before, the greatest you know counterinsurgency um, f- formation these guys have are U.S. military lawyers, you know, who said, "Well, no, you know, we can't do that." And I mean, the, of course, they only just give advice, but the commanders usually lack the guts to overrule them. I'm talking star wearing commanders at the you know at the brigade level. And so, or above the brigade level at the, you know, the, in our case, the, uh, whatever the fuck you want to call that thing we had in Iraq, not a division, you know, not a, um, not a core, you know, but, but, a, uh, I guess, uh, whatever, what do we call it? You know, the, the, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the our lash up, our lash up there in, uh, in Anbar province. And, uh, so, you know, so you just had to deal with it. So you, we tried everything. We tried, uh, ambushing the place that night. We tried, uh, you know, uh, Flying over and with the new uh, new electronic warfare stuff we had to set off base stations and a lot of if you drove up and down Bronze you know MSR Bronze the main thoroughfare from uh, basically I think Ramadi all the all way right. to the border right. you know you'd find pieces of Muj guys on the side of the road who got uh, or even in town who uh, got blown up by their own IDs set off by this stuff which they which again it wasn't enough it was enough to be effective for a week or two and then they come up with a countermeasure. So that's what happened in this thing. This guy tried to set off the ID. Uh, what had happened was uh, the regimental commander and I both hit Dulab around the same time. And uh, we talked to a group of Dulab residents who were saying, you guys are supposed to protect us. But these guys just shoot at us whenever they want. They come and take stuff out of our houses. And we're like, which guys? And they were like, down there by the river, by the ammo dump. And so it was, it was the end of May. It was hot as hell. And I remember... 
saying to the uh, the CEO, sir, let's just get on there and fucking get them. I mean, what could happen? I mean, th- they can't be ready for us. They don't know we're coming. Hell, we didn't even know we're coming. <laughs> well, you know, so he's like, and he was pissed too. You know, we're like, we want to do something. She says, yeah, you're right. So off we go rumbling around this hardball in Dulop, and all of a sudden, ba-boom, ba-boom, we're in a dirt road. And I remember thinking, oh, fuck, dirt road. That means the uh, ID as big as a goddamn uh, Goodyear blimp <laughs> under the road. You know? And uh, so I'm like, well, it's Colonel, you know, the, Colonel Crow it was. I go, he's up there. You know, I hate to, you know, I, I think I, it'll go off on them, goddamn it, you know. But his ECMs were even more up to date than mine in my vehicle. So the guy in the, um, he's in a little hole. EC, little, hold on. ECM uh, is electronic, electronic countermeasure. The jammers, for, the jammers for the. the uh, right. right. So we couldn't hardly talk to each other very well because yeah. ECMs also jammed our communications. <laughs> but they shut him down. So he jumped on a, um, he jumped on a moped and he's going down. And somebody uh, on one of the nets said, hey, there's a guy in a mini bike want to haul an ass ahead of us. So me and my guys are like, kill him, kill him. I mean. There's no reason for it. And they're like, we don't have PID. And there's a little argument going back and forth. And then the next thing I knew, I had a bunch of weird dreams. And then I was in Bethesda yanking on the catheter and arguing with a female corpsman about taking the catheter out. And uh, 10 days later. So uh, what happened was he went down the river. He went down the road by the river. There's a little hole. And then it was a, a hell box, I guess you call it, where it had two wires stripped. He put them together, and the bomb went off. And as I was driving over it, so that's what happened. Wow! As far as, and so, uh, wow. so, the, and and so the war went on and on between, you know, IEDs and and the IEDs actually uh, the best IEDs were manufactured in Iran, and they'd sent their penetrators. And I have to tell you, when I was there, and I, when Timmy was there, in uh, like Fab Fenty is really. Jalalabad Airfield reinforced, you know, that's their FOB. And uh, and I was in a FOB called FOB UE across the road from it. And um, we didn't have that much trouble with IEDs in 9 and 10, but it was getting worse and worse. And what the Iranian IEDs were doing was uh, they were going off on the side of the road and boring a hole through the new MRAPs and killing people. I don't know if you remember, Tim, female uh, major was killed going towards uh, going yeah. from FOB Fenty up to uh, Nuristan to uh, to the to see uh, her husband to see her husband, and uh, it bored a yeah. hole, a forty-five, like a half-inch hole through her her through her upper chest and killed her. And, uh, and that was like yeah. a okay. uh, EFP. Yeah, right. And it was EFP yeah. exactly. Uh-huh. Because most of the shit for me in my first tour in Iraq was far ambush, or if it was your time, like Ganjigal or Fab Keating or something like that, or whatnot. They, if they didn't think that you had access to uh, reinforcement, they would swarm you and try and kill everybody. And uh, but normally it was just far ambush because they didn't want you to stumble on some, right. you know, IEDs they're putting in or something. It's the same thing like in uh, in Anbar. You know, if you were getting shot at and uh, there's no ID associated with it, it's probably because they're doing something fiendish up the road and they didn't want you to get there yet. You know, right? The um, you know. Uh, what's, uh, what's Jeff alluded to something that was constant problem for us there. And that was, you know, the locals knew that we would try to do good things, right? Right. And they're caught in the middle of this thing. And so 
you know, our units would go places, and they, you know, the locals would say, how long are you guys going to be here? And they would get the hemming and hawing of, well, you know, operation, blah, blah, blah. Are you going to stay? Because see that house over there? Those people helped you last time. And they all got their heads chopped off, and they got left in that front yard as a, as a message to everybody. Because mm-hmm. when you left, you couldn't protect us anymore. So, you know, you have these guys who would tell you, we would like to help you. Because, you know, you fixed the dam, or you did this, or you did that. And we need that. But we can't help you if you won't stay. And you say, and, and you know, you know, guys would just you'd have to shrug your shoulders and say, we're only going to be here for maybe two or three weeks. And they would say, okay, inshallah, you, and leave. But, but, you, but you know what was happening in Afghanistan by the time that Jeff was leaving was we were we were no longer perceived as there to help them. We were there right. to keep the Ka- the Kabul regime in office, and the right. Kabul regime was predatory right. uh, towards the people, corrupt. not at all trying to help them. Right, right, because of the, it's it, and it was an unusual degree of corruption. Corruption's accepted form of business there, right. but this is unusual degree of corruption, and so w- the the fact that we're all nice and we're great to the kids and. Uh, the only time we give the local shit is when they mistreat dogs. I mean, all that nice, friendly, fa- all that stuff was gone. We were the face of the people keeping Karzai in office, and Karzai was no friend of the uh, Hill Pashtun. That's for yeah. damn sure. Right. Talk about what happens when you have a frauded election. In 2009, they had an election <laughs> nakedly fraud. I mean, we helped fraud them. We flew ballots to places. Like I remember a place called Bargamatal up in the northern part of Nuristan, way the fuck away from yeah. anywhere we were. We flew in CH-47s 30,000 ballots up there. And there wasn't 30,000 people there, but they all came back for Karzai. And the guy who was running against them was Abdullah Abdullah, who was like a co-ruler of Afghanistan now. Right. But the truth is, they don't, they have no trust in the in the election anymore. And because of that, that's what happens when you screw around with election because, you know, the the uh, it, it's too important for the people to be able to pick their own leaders. This issue is too important. In that case, Karzai needed to be in power so that his brother could continue to rake in dope money. His brother's like I think the the biggest, most lucrative dope dealer in history. Of course, he was later murdered was. by another drug dealer. But you know, but um, yeah. and so that's what happens. And now, if there was any hope for him now to ever trust their government, it's gone. It's it, it, it gone and never to return. That's you know, that's why you, you would come. You would come home from being in either place, and yeah, you know, yeah. and people who watch the news, right? Yeah. They would say, "So, are we going to be able to turn this into a democracy?" <laughs> right, and you would laugh. Yeah, <laughs> you would laugh, and, and you know, and say, "Well, and you well, you try not to laugh like Timmy just did, right, in somebody's face, yeah. right?" But you try to be very polite and say. Like, first of all, I don't know that we Americans truly understand how unique the concept of minority rights is in a ruling state. Because let me tell you, in that part of the world, there are no minority rights. The minority right is we we might let you live if you shut up and stand in the corner and don't say a fucking word. If you do say a word, we'll put a bullet in your head. Those are my that's that's the minority rights. And, And if you don't believe us. Go ahead and fuck around and see what happens. The strong fucking man rules, and everybody else can shut up. And that's the way it, that's the way it happened. And so, democracy? Uh, no, not so much. They don't. Yeah, they, they think do- democracy is just like this charade, right? Okay, so what's really going on here? 
because they don't believe yeah. it is it is what it is. And I remember one of the fun you these funny meetings you you'd sit in um with the like Iraqi you know sheikhs and and government officials and and so the Iraqis would be like, so what do you guys really want? And I remember sitting there with Larry <laughs> with Larry Nicholson, who was the CEO of Fifth Marines at the time, and in Fallujah. It's like, we're going to give this back, and we're going to leave. And they're like, yeah, we don't believe that. Nobody comes and does what you guys have done and then just gives it away and leaves. What do you really want? If you tell us what you really want, okay, we can get there faster. And he's like, we want you to govern this in an inclusive manner. That, and they're like, yeah, come on, stop that, please. You're insulting us. <laughs> You're insulting us. Why won't you tell us what you really want, right? And it was well, – I mean- because in their no, world, we, right? We want your women to have. We want your women to have the full franchise, right? What? What? We want no. if you and no, if we no, would have no. said no. we want. No, this, come on, really? What do you want? <laughs> right. That's what it would. That's what it was like. Because yeah. they just could not conceive, and, and that's the uniqueness of the United States and the way we use our military. Nobody in history conquers someplace, right? Subdues it and then gives it back and leaves. Nobody does that. Well, it's- we should have told and, him, and, and told gives him money. No, and gives him money. To, and gives him money. We don't even <laughs> extract the money that we should extract for doing him the favor. That's how it used to work. Uh, <laughs> we don't even do that. All we give him billions of dollars on top of it and say, "Please behave yourselves." Uh, you know, like, let's all get along. Truth, truth be say, we have these selected commanders. They're selected. We want them to be able to become generals and admirals and. Uh, have great pensions and and cushy consultant jobs that they don't do shit and make hundreds of thousands of dollars. We're here for these six hundred guys across the. That's the truth, and uh, because they're docile as hell, our military. They don't care. I mean, one thing that got that hit me from Iraq and later Afghanistan is the utter and complete lack of care of these guys about the dead bodies of Americans. They could give a shit unless it was going to embarrass them. And, uh, you know, to me, that's just... Uh, Wait, hold on. on, it, on it, and ex- no one... Explain what you mean. Well, we were uh, the first, you know, uh, the first bunch of casualties we had from OIF-1 was, like, negligible. It was like uh, the four days we had for Desert Storm times, you know, six was uh, the amount of dead we had because uh, it was three weeks long instead of four days long for OIF one, and, and, and a so lot of it blew on blue. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, a significant part was blue on blue, and then surprise, surprise, they pushed back because they didn't see that just because Saddam had been kicked out and and his guys had you know had suffered that like why should Ramadi and Fallujah and uh, you know Mosul and and Basra, why should they knuckle under to a bunch of, you know, to a very few, relatively few number of Americans driving in there and telling them what's what? And so that started the counterinsurgency. These guys finally were united in the fact they didn't want, they didn't see any reason, you know, the strong guys there, why we should have our way. They didn't fall into the thing of the Bill Lind maneuver warfare bullshit, or just because you knocked over my, uh, you know, my general. And, you know, we got flanked. Now I got to give up like the French or the Poles. They're like, fuck that, you know. And so and then they were right. They, uncertainty that drags on and on. And within less than a year, you got the opposing party in the United States and the one that was running the White House 
they're saying, oh, it was all lies. Even though all of them fell in line behind going in there, they're all saying, oh, this and that, you know, it was all lies, which made, which was true, but they knew that. Well, you and know what? Uh, hey, Jeff, let me Harry Reid said that shit, the war is lost, right? Yeah. Right. The war isn't lost till we fucking say it's lost. Mm-hmm. And he the only reason he said that shit was for political gain, right? Yeah. I the think that, I think that that is one of the greatest fucking acts Crime. of treason I've ever yeah. seen because th- though you would you would find that fucking uh clip, the war is lost, yeah. that video clip with their in in Iraq with videos of them shooting us in the head, right? Because they videotaped that, yeah. right? You know, yeah. you know, soldiers, you know, moving around on the tank and 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 you know, switching hatches, and all of a sudden, boom! One gets headshot. Everybody flips out, right? Running around, yeah. and it was shot after shot. And then you see Harry Reid's, and you see in Cyrillic, right below in Arabic, you see, yeah, you see, this is the number four guy in line to the presidency. He is the leader of their upper house of parliament. And he is saying the war is lost. Keep killing them. Keep shooting them in the head. And your blood pressure, if you think you have a blood pressure fucking problem, I mean, fuck, man. And yeah. and, and our guys, got to. Go, we have to go out every day into this and, and, and do this fucking shit. For guys, yeah. for, for pieces of shit like Harry Reid. That yeah, be- and then here's the thing. I hate, the, I hate that motherfucker with every – my hate for him is up there with Don Rumsfeld hate, but it, it's a little bit different in that I would just – if I ever saw him, I'd just walk up and punch him straight in the fucking face and stand over his body and fucking just scream at him. If not, if not sit on him and, and bash his fucking face in. No. That well, motherfucker. But if, you, but if you did that, he'd end up suing uh, an, an athletic band company. Like the last time he got his ass kicked, remember? Uh, <laughs> hey, listen to this. And he guy. said he what said it was a, an exercise band broke. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> what a exercise fuck, band. man. Yeah. Not, yeah, hey, like, not uh, that that still bothers me at all. Yeah, I mean, it's is. it is. It, it oh. breaks your fucking heart. Because you, you know people wait, wait, who wait. got killed. We know people who got killed. And, and it was so obvious, the answer. I mean, every la- when I was in the hospital, you know, it's a comment I go from bed to bed in the ICU, and he's like, uh, in Bethesda, he's like, so what do you think, there, Lance Corporal uh, Rodriguez? Sorry, we need more guys over there. Oh, yeah, sorry, Major him, sorry, Major uh, the the guy before, uh, yeah, whatever. But then the next uh, next bed, you know, well, what do you think, there, uh, Sergeant uh, Flynn, who's one of Dave's guys? Sir, we need more guys over there to cover the ground so you ain't driving. <laughs> What do you think, Corporal Bowen? Sir, we need more guys. Comes up to me, and I'm like, sir, they're right. We need more fucking guys. <laughs> oh, and then the genius portray after they after finally 2006, they lose the midterms. That's when they get rid of Rumsfeld. The the Republicans lose the midterm elections. Not the fact we lost 2,000 guys blown all over the fucking you know the western part or all over Iraq by the Euphrates. That that's not a reason to get rid of Rumsfeld. Oh no, because they lose the midterms. And then, you know, they... Uh, they hey, put let, me, let, me, let me tell you, that arrogant motherfucker, man. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you, from the time the war started, he would go on and hold his little press conferences, and reporters would ask him questions, and he is fucking snarky, arrogant ass, and I remember being there, and so I went, you know, I, I, I'm there in 2004 for a year, I go in 2006 again, and it's the same shit, and you're watching it, and you've seen it, yeah. you know, you're seeing it now for... Two different deployments over the course of two different years, over the course of a, a three-year span, and you're just watching it, you know, not improve. And you're like, look at that motherfucker, man. 
He's being he's being arrogant with 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 the lives of these Marines and soldiers. Yeah. You motherfucker! How, how could these colonels and generals who we venerated? How could they see that shit and and go to you know and, and and police up the dead bodies and the wounded guys and shit? How could they go back and not say a goddamn word? Uh, Jeff, let me just you know? tell you, it is it is, um, and I don't talk about this very much, but I had a special seat in my first deployment, and that is, right, I used to sit out on some of that shit. Right. And you're sitting there say, waiting, somebody fucking say we don't have enough fucking people out here. Yeah. And nobody says it. Nobody fucking says it, and you're like, Jesus Christ, man. Fuck. Simple thing. You find these IDs walking 2.5 mi- miles an hour, you get killed by them going 25 miles an hour. Right. Well, and, and let me tell you this. And then... Right, then to have some of those guys lecture people about moral courage and doing the right thing, yeah. and you're just yeah. si- right, and you're just sitting there seething, and you want to stand up and say, "Hey, sir, does that just apply to the rank of like you know uh, E six and below? Does that apply to you? Yeah. When are you gonna yeah. fucking do it?" Oh man, I, my head almost exploded. My head almost exploded one day in one of those. Yeah. Can, can I bring us to, to a, a, a more current thing that we because I, I want to ultimately find something we can get behind because there sure is not a lot we can complain about and for a long time. But but as far as outrages goes, let's talk about West Point. OK, I'm always happy. Oh, to, not up I'm on always this? I'm always happy to bash West Point. Well, what now? Yeah, we're Boys, you're not aware of the cheating scandal? Uh, oh, I saw yeah. an- another one. Mostly athletes. Fifty-seven. No, uh, uh, fifty-seven cadets. Yeah, uh, 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 cheating on one uh, math exam, trigonometry, or st- I forget which calculus or whatever. Now, how do we handle cheating at West Point? Uh, I believe the the code. I think Shit, I memorized yeah. it. Uh, cadet will not lie, cheat, or tolerate those who do. You know, Stonewall Jackson uh, expelled an entire class from VMI because they, they would not tell him who had cheated once. This, but our, our, our Lieutenant General Williams, he says that if you actually enforce the Academy's Honor Code, it would result in, I'm going to quote him, has resulted in an inequitable application of consequences and developmental opportunities for select groups of cadets. Like the honest What's ones. That tell you? <laughs> what, what does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah. What, did, what did he just say there, Jeremy? Can you get bust out I, your I, I, bust I, out I your secret I, decoder I, ring and explain that to me? I, I I think what you have is a disproportionate number of, of of preferred minorities. That doesn't include Chinese Americans. Preferred minorities who are caught up in this thing. If this had been fifty-seven white kids, they would have been gone. Oh. And we know that. So we, we know need that. to understand that cheating is acceptable if you're mi- a minority. Well, you just got to know, we got to accept that the inequitable application of consequences is not something that we, uh, we tolerate. That's, that's disturbing wait, to, to wait, me. What do you mean? The in, but, the, but it's consistent with everybody who did this got this. That's consistent, yay? Oh, that was, yeah, that's, that's not very 2021-ish, my friend. Because <laughs> we got to remember that, the most important thing that we're doing is diversity. Remember, diversity. Yes. That, that went away while Trump was. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I, I can't believe it because I'm trying to figure out what it is we have that we could talk that we support. What can you? What can we get behind? It, it, the rule of law. I'm not too <laughs> sure. Uh, the Nothing. power power of the ballot. I'm not too sure. No. Our elected representatives. No. I've never trusted them anyway. We're left with with what Clay Travis was left with on ESPN a couple years ago, and that's the First Amendment and booze. That's it. It's all we got. It's all that's left for us. Yeah. Booze is a common denominator. It is the yeah. right. Yeah. Is is a you know it is a currency of the realm and trauma. I you know I, I went down and did a, a post medical inning yesterday with three five and uh, I just have to tell you I mean it's just pretty inspiring. Um, yep. You have so many young people who found their way to the Marine Corps um, out of just the, the worst circumstances that you can be in, and uh, and I'm I, I met a kid yesterday who was who was sexually abused from the ages of six to nine and. Uh, so he comes up to me, he, everybody leaves, and he left, and then he came back, you know, to do it on the down low. And he said, hey, could I talk to you? And I said, yeah. And he said, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for this. And I said, I said, you don't have to, man. All you got to do is help somebody else. And he said, I know that, but I've struggled. I've gone to therapists who told me I would get over it, that time heals all wounds. And then you stand up there and say, you're never going to get over that, this, and and time heals all wounds is a fucking lie, right? And he said, it just, I, he said, I don't know if you noticed me. I had the biggest smile on my face the whole class. He said, because I've thought some of this stuff, but I just want to come back and thank you. And, and we had this very, you know, about, I don't know, half hour conversation about this. And these, and, and these people, these young kids, they're miracles, man. There's no way that kid should be. He was born in Mexico. He's abused in Mexico. Got, you know, came to the United States, and now he's a Marine. And, uh, and, he's, and he's doing good. But you know that's you know it's uh, but it's just so inspiring to be around them and to, and to see how excited they get about helping other people and about the fact that there is this no bullshit fucking path that they can they can believe in and lean on and that has historical precedents like in the Hanoi Hilton and things like that. And then the right. more the more I do this, the more you know I don't need the Hanoi Hilton anymore, right? Because I all these people that I've met. Right, that that do it, and I use that story about that the kid who you know showed me the uh, the Psalm twenty three tattoo on his arm and said I was going to kill myself the day after Christmas, but I'm not going to now. And you know you hear that shit, and you're like these are guys just like you. And I said, and and you guys will laugh at this, but I said, you know, what's one of the great things you kind of do as a when you're still a poolie before you even ship, right? You're thinking about the Marine Corps. You've signed up, and but you're nervous. Like, can I do this? And, and right, and then you yeah. see some other piece of shit from your town come back in their Marine uniform. And what do you think? If that yeah. fucker could do it, you I could do, do it. it. I could do it. Right. Mm-hmm. I said, and that's why I show all these the Matt Kikers and all these different people. They're just like you. They're no different. If they can do it, you can fucking do it. And they and they laugh, but. Um, just uh just very cool being with Jeff's old battalion. Uh the Dark Horse Battalion, my son's old battalion. In fact, uh his old company brought over a t shirt for him. And uh and I'll just say, very cool. He is so excited. He said, No, they gave that to you and you're giving it to me. And I showed him a text from the current Kilo Company commander saying, Hey Mac, my guys are uh in route over there. They've got a gift for your son. And he just went, Whoa. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that is awesome. 
Yeah. Hey, Mac. Yes. Mac, uh, a, a, a thing about the what you said about you see another guy who you, uh, comes back from the Marine Corps and he made it, you think, if he made it, I could make it. So I'm at the Medal of Honor ceremony for Meyer, and I'm talking to the Medal of Honor guys, and, and O'Malley, Sergeant O'Malley, who got the Medal, first living Marine to get the Medal of Honor in Vietnam, he's there, and he's kind of like the Boswell of all these uh, Medal of Honor guys. So he's telling stories about Jacqueline Lucas, the youngest Marine to get it. Right. Then he's talking about, there's another, he's from Woodside, Queens, O'Malley, and he's talking about uh, Noonan, Kevin Noonan, I think it was, I think Kevin Noonan or Terrence Noonan. He got the Medal of Honor in 19, he got it posthumously, he got killed in 69, I think. But they went to high school together, and Noonan was like bouncing around Queens, New York, you know, and uh, he sees McLaughlin, he sees uh, O'Malley comes back, and he's like, uh, How'd you get that? He goes, well, you know, where I was in Vietnam, I was fighting. He goes, well, you're a pussy compared to me, Noonan says to him. I'm going to join up. I bet I get one. You could get one. And he did, but he got killed. I mean, and I was like, uh, well, that's a, you fuck, know, that's a fuck story. Yeah, I know. But it was like, but not, if you listen to O'Malley tell it, it was, it wasn't just funny. It was like, you know, uh, Right. Because obviously he admired Noonan. He goes, and this Noonan guy was a badass. Right. In high school, right. everybody was, you know, whoa, fucking Noonan, you know. So he joins the Marine Corps, and, and you know, of course, he gets killed. But right. uh, but there's like that is a that is an absolute. Uh, if this guy can make it, I can make it, you know. And uh, right. I tell you, um, it's one of the the uh, things about the Marine Corps you don't ever want to lose, you know. That uh, can I do this? And then you do do it, you know. And then uh, right. and then what's next? Because the truth is, boot camp ain't really that hard. It's just the first, you know, uh, the first traumatic um, face of reality you have. That's why it seems so bad, you know? Right. I mean, I went to OCS exactly 10 years after I went to Paris Island. I went to OCS in 85. And uh, to me, it was like a fucking six and a half week dental appointment, man. It was just a pain in the ass. But I could see the, the other guys who were going through it. It was the first time they'd ever been treated like that. And even though they didn't hit us, it wasn't like full metal jacket, but it was close. But it wasn't like that bad, you know, right. as it was when I went through Paris Island. Well, no, if you've um, already been through it once, you're playing charades, yeah. right? You're like, all exactly. Right. And, they, and, and, and in fact, they tell the prior enlisted guys, they, you know, hey, <laughs> your job is to go along with this. Got it? Like, got it. They just fuck with me for the first three days. And then they made me march everybody to chow, teach them how to clean their rifles, <laughs> teach them how to not get lost, you know, that type of shit, you know? <sighs> That's awesome. The um, No, you know, one of the things that I try to do, and it's the same thing, and I learned this teaching at the basic school in IOC, which, you know, we were talking about the other day, but, um, I, in fact, I've got, I, I, I've got a bunch of email about our just hour and 50-minute conversation last week about leadership, the basic school, and just different things. I forward you guys a couple of them. But, uh, you know, it's amazing the things that resonate with people. Um, uh, and uh, But, you know, one of the things I try to do is, uh, whether it was I was teaching the, the decision class at IOC or, you know, with post-traumatic winning, is, you know, you try to take lofty concepts and you articulate them, you know, like, hey, if that fucker could do it, I could do it. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So you, you know, you could you could you know, you could talk, you know, mental health and you could, you know, you could cloak it in Freudian terms or you could cloak, you know, Frankel who's more pedestrian than than Freud or whatnot. Or yeah. or you could cloak it in Marine. If that fucker can do it, I can do it. There's no reason you can't do that. 
Uh, but mm-hmm. one of the interesting things, and another conversation I had with a kid yesterday who had a tough holiday, um, and I said, look, man, if you think you can defy the three goals and ten commandments of post-traumatic winning, you're going to fucking learn the hard way, man. You're going to be you're going to be in life's ditch. And so you went home. Your family's a shit show. Yes. Uh, you like a girl. She doesn't like you. Yep. And what did you do? Did you talk to anybody? No. And then what did you do? I drank. Drank. Four, yeah, I drank for four <laughs> days. And now you're shocked because you're fucked up. Like, okay. So, you know, I can fix a lot of shit. I can't fix stupid. And and they and they kind of laugh. And so, and, and say, look. And he would talk about going to medic, medical and, you know, maybe getting Medicaid. I said, let me tell you, you can go numb yourself. That's fine. But you're still going to have the same issue. When something pisses you the fuck off and your white hot anger explodes, what do you do? What do you do? Take more medication? Is that going to control it? No, there's got to be a cognitive response and a decision to do something else. And that's the challenge for you. I said, so what, how do you do it? Do you wear something on your wrist? Right? Do you tie something around your ear? And I pulled out my dog tags. I said, I still wear my dog tags every day. You want to know why? It's a fucking daily reminder of the things I have to do. And he looks at me and goes, holy shit. I said, yeah, this one belongs to one of my sons. This is something I got in Hit, which is a, uh, which is a verse from Isaiah. I will be strong. I will not be terrified. And I was like, oh, well, that's me. He was a great guy, Isaiah, man. I don't know. I don't even know who the hell Isaiah was, but, <laughs> but when, I lay, when I looked in that box, I saw those little metal dog tags. I saw Isaiah, yeah. and it, I'll read it to you. I will be strong and courageous. I will not be terrified or discouraged, for the Lord is my God, is with me wherever I go. But the word that jumped out at me for the whole thing is terrified. And I'm like, yeah. I said, I'll wear that. And, I, and from that day in hit, in, in a little expeditionary chow hall and hit uh, when I was cruising around with Joe and Kelly one day. Um, I've worn it ever since. And I said, see this? This reminds me every day of who my tribe is and what I'm supposed to do. And I don't, I can't, I don't, I don't do it well every day, but you've got to figure out a way to remind yourself, you know, and change your behavior. And I said, cause this shit's easy to fuck. And Timmy can tell, talk about this. This shit's easy to fucking talk about. This shit's hard to fucking do. So, right. Anyway, anyway, yeah. I don't want I don't want you to get emotional, Timmy. I know how you are. You kind of you get kind of fragile on us. So you're the emo- no, you're- no, 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 Jeff's the nightingale, and you're the emotional one. <laughs> no, I, I I think I'm getting cured. I, I, all I needed was a little bit of that public exposure therapy, and that you know you'd listen to that once or twice on a on your tape recorder, and that that will cure you. I don't think so. Man. I think I don't think so. I don't, I, <laughs> one of the things that helps is the ridicule of your friends. It's like that therapy. Is of course. <laughs> to be that's, ridiculed that's by exa- people you respect. It's that like, is true. You can't beat it. Yeah, that is exactly right. No, but you know, Tim, um, Tim kind of, oh, you pulled back the curtain on something for me that um, has been illuminating for, for, for me. And that is the whole concept of, you know, when you go through traumatic shit, that if somehow or other you feel shame or guilt that is a whole nother uh, series. I think it takes every weight that you carry and it makes it heavier. So it's uh, it, that yeah. guilt or shame overlays life as a grant as a great parenthetical, and then 
and then it takes all those problems times whatever, times seven, times nine. I don't know what the fucking factor is. But I, I, and I, that really had, I'd never really considered it until, you know, you started talking about, about it. Right. Right. Yes. It's Teddy Roosevelt said the credit belongs to the man in the arena. And, uh, you don't really understand that until like this war thing, we keep going back and we say to ourselves, I won't fuck up the next time. Like only I know I fucked up the last time and other things happen and you fuck up in a different way. And, uh, it's just a trap you never get out of, but you keep going back. Cause at least you're, at least you're, you're voting with your fucking ass on, you're betting on the country. You know? Well, and what Jeff's alluding to is his last trip to Afghanistan. He went back because he felt he could unfuck some of the stuff and be better than the shit he fucked up the previous time. And yeah. He- I mean, I didn't, yeah, right. And so, uh, it, it, I mean, it was on two levels. One is the, I mean, the platoon level, because when you're traveling is when shit happens and you right. got to travel, you got to go and, right. and, and uh, you know, get out there and watch the, uh, the, uh, at least as an advisor, be with them when they do their stuff. And the second thing was these little micro things that happen, uh, you know, you, uh, you know, you, you, you respond a certain way and it's good. It's okay. But you go back in your mind to the stuff that led up to you getting into that situation. You, why was, why were we ambushed? And, uh, why didn't I have more Americans mixed in with the Afghans, you know? And, uh, and so, uh, you try and fix it for next time, but then it's a whole nother problem. And, uh, you know, it's it's just, you know, it's just, it's just the way it is for everybody. I think. No, but, 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 but what we're talking is your motivation, right? Yeah. Right. Is I make it right. I need to make make it right. right. I need to make yeah. it right. Well, well, well there's, some, there's something else, though, if I may. I think that it's, it's, not, um, it's not a stretch to say that, that all of us and all of our friends would have considered ourselves cursed to not have been part of Iraq and Afghanistan. Had, yeah, had we yeah. not been able to deploy there, that would have been a fate worth in death for most of us. The question is... There's always guys like us around in a society and whatnot. I, I, I wonder how many people did. I just, I wonder what the, what's, what's the baseline of, of guys who have a propensity towards the military and whatnot, and 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 just would not see themselves the same if they sat out some kind of major conflagration that involved their entire generation. You know. I, I don't know how many people we are producing like that. I don't know how long that stays because we're sustained by a different society than the society we had today. What nurtured us was a completely different set of circumstances right, right. than what's facing the youth today. It's you know that's another thing that's I, I, It's kind of interesting you say that. I I um I can remember I can't remember where I was, uh, but you know Susan and I are married, and I think I'm going back to either Iraq or Afghanistan, and somebody it might have been somebody in her family say well did you guys talk about it <laughs> right <laughs> and she says no and then and then you see you see head snaps right and she said it's his decision and uh and uh and so you know you get this you know you know like well why wouldn't you talk about it well I mean, I've been trained to do something, right? My friends called me and said, we need your help. We could really use your help. And so if I went to Susan and said, like, hey, I said, and I'm good at this. 
You know, I'll tell you straight up, I'm good at this. And they say they need my help. And I go to my wife and she says, no, I'd rather you not go. And I not go, I, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. Right? I mean, as, as since I was a little boy, you know, I believed in this. And so there's nothing to discuss, you know. And they just looked at me like, whoa, yeah. whoa. And then one of them said, I, well, I think that's wrong. I, I don't care what you think, you know. Yeah. If you know, if, if I wouldn't be able to live with myself, I met a guy. I can't remember when, but he just by core, you know, by, just by assignment, right? Everybody's going to Iraq in two thousand three, four. He goes to three MEF in Okinawa, okay, the, right? Then he comes back and he goes to the Pentagon, and then he comes back and I don't know where he went, but it was again, it was an operational unit, but. Not everybody went to Iraq and Afghanistan. Some some second marine divisions had to, you know, do med floats and all the rest of that. So he he does that. And then he comes back and he goes to some other, you know, you know, non-operational, you know, bill. He doesn't go to either Iraq and Afghanistan. And he mm. and he said it he said it's fucked up my life. He said everybody's gone. I mean, he said, you know, I I just, I, I feel of like course. I I feel like I didn't do my my part. It's like the guy in four feathers. Yeah. Right. Well, imagine if that was you. Imagine if yeah. imagine if every time you were you were sent out deployed, you were one of the guys that was holding some unimportant position that's not in Iraq or Afghanistan. God damn, that would have yeah. no, and, and this is and this is this is what you in this respect. This is what you devoted your life to. And then this yeah. is what happened. No. No. Yeah. Uh, no, and so I you know, and I, I've had people tell me like, "Hey, geez, that's uh, that's kind of harsh." You know, not talking about with your wife. I'm like, "Look, there's no discussion." In my opinion, this is my decision. What do you say? What do you say? If she says no, what are you going to say? Okay. I'm like, yeah. I, I then what? Uh, yeah. Then you're going to be then you're going to be pissed at her, and this is it's not like this Mount Vesuvius ain't going to erupt. Yeah. And so, look, it was it was not something that I would discuss with anybody. It's my decision. You know, and they're like, whoa, whoa. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, what are you guys doing today? Not what are you reading? What are you doing today, Jeff? What you got? You must have some kind of medical. Uh, I got at ten o'clock. I got a medical, a telephonic medical appointment. Um, so it's, that's in order to continue to get my meds mailed to me. So I don't have to go pick them up. And then, uh, I mean, that's my main goal. Other than that, we're doing. Uh, we're looking at. We're working with the, uh, this actually with uh, right now the division. But the idea is uh, a way to control uh, emissions from uh, shipboard units. So it's a it's, you know and uh, climate change. There you go. No, 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 no. no, no it's no, not no. emissions. El- electronic emissions, right? Electronic emissions. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. So, I'm sorry. So yeah, and uh, <laughs> you know it's uh, it's a I tell you you know reading those books by Horn Fisher and uh, and Toll. The way you do it is you get close and you fucking send each other semaphores, you know. Um, but there's no, more to it than that. Well, yeah, there's more to it because because of the F thirty five and the technology we have now demands that. Um, did you know that the F? I don't know. This isn't secreting, but the F thirty five it doesn't if it doesn't get like a certain amount of uh, input, it'll fucking make an emergency landing on its own. I mean, I don't know. If, you know what I'm saying? It's, <laughs> It's like uh, <laughs> what the fuck? It's like the it's like the robot in Lost in Space. Oh, Danger yeah, Will I, Robinson. Danger yeah, Will Robinson. Danger what? Will. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not a fucking technological guy. You you guys know that, but uh, 
the uh, the idea is, uh, you know, how do you do that? Like, is it to me? It makes more sense to uh, to uh, to do. Remember how you, there's two ways of doing raids. Like, one, you just try and sneak in and do it. Two, you're in the area and you try and desensitize the enemy by letting them see something habitually. So after a while, they don't think anything of it. And, uh, you know, and that's been like when they started doing what we call that uh, operation we do habitually in Egypt now actually started out with us trying to move uh, resources to that part of the globe to do Eagle Claw to get the hostages out of Iran. Um, you know, the exercise you do in Egypt every year. Bright Star. Uh, Bright Star. Bright Star, right. That's how it started in, in order to desensitize. And so consequently, I think that if you could, uh, you could basically make without too much trouble, kind of like a version of the third, the, you know, the fake army that they made in England to make the, the Germans think we we're coming at Pazzi Calais under Patton with inflatables and shit. If you right. could do that electronically, you could put it off, you could put like a carrier battle group off the coast of uh, North Korea. It's really not there. The real one somewhere else. Electronically. However, electronically. Yeah, exactly. Electronically. And so, but the other problem is a lot of what we do on board ship, there's fighting and then they're showing the flag, and they're contradictory to each other. The the op, you don't want people to not know where you are when you're showing the flag. So it's a it's a philosophical battle, and uh, you know it's uh, you got to come to some kind of synthesis on it. So uh, we might be doing that this afternoon. Got it, Timmy. What about you? Are you uh, are you are you back in school yet? Or are you just uh... no school? School starts next week. I might go out and try to get my textbooks. Like Jeff, I'm a, I'm low on my blood pressure medicine. Unlike Jeff, I can just skip down to Progresso and jump over to Border and buy, buy a month's <laughs> worth for $4, which is exactly what I'm going to do because it's just a hell of a lot easier than dealing with the VA. You should put on your pop yeah. pool and look like a Neurostani when you do that, Tim. Hey, dude, I, the Mexican, the Mexican people don't play games, man. You got to walk in, use the pharmacy, walk the hell out, or go to the dentist. That's all you can do in Progresso. It's like yeah. the, it's, it's like a, the pharmacy. It's tense. It's like the, uh, it's like the uh, pass an ID center at Onifray, right? <laughs> uh, let me tell you, Timmy, I had to bet. I lost my wallet at Home Depot on Sunday. and Oh, shit, that sucks. And you know what? Let me just tell you. I, I'm just going to give you like an odd observ- self-observation. I, it didn't even piss me off that much, and I'm like, "This is weird. Like, am, is my yeah, life cha- is my life know. changed that much?" That's and, well, I think it is. I think part of it is like you know. I, I'll tell you another thing is that you can go on like instantaneously to your bank account and shut those cards off. You don't have to. You don't have to spend an hour on the phone, you know, with somebody and all this bullshit. Um, you do it like right now, and so I did that, and then, uh, and so I mean. Now, I'm going to North Carolina next week. Um, I'm flying on Saturday, and I'll speak all week there and at, at the, for 2MEP at Camp Lejeune. And so um, I'm like, fuck, i got to get an ID, ID card. And I'm thinking, first of the year, first of the month, fuck, I'm going to be down for hours. So I go. So I talked to Jeff, and, and I the last time I got an ID card was for Colleen, and we went to the northern thing. They had closed that thing and then reopened it, so unbeknownst to me. And I'm, Jeff and I are talking. He says, hey, I've lost my wallet three times. I'm an expert in this. I'm an expert, <laughs> I'm an expert, expert at fucking up, man. <laughs> I'm an expert at this. Go to the northern pass and ID place. But so I, I bring, you know, something to uh, listen to. I bring something to work on. I'm like, I'm going to be there for three or four hours, I think. I was there for 15 minutes. 
get out. I swear to God. I mean, it was a miracle. Oh, man. A straight up miracle. Pass an ID, no. 15 minutes. Hey, never hey, never hey, happened gotta, to me gotta, in my I, life. No. <laughs> yeah. We got I have to make an appointment with the local INI to get an ID card if I need to get one and that's that's a couple months out every time you call last time yeah. when I got my wife's card 15 yeah, a couple minutes. months out 15 minutes unbelievable yeah literally so yeah my yeah. charm my charmed life continues and I'm actually excited uh my daughter's gonna Colleen's going with me to North Carolina this time you could fly Good. coast to coast for less than 300 bucks to a place like Jacksonville, which you got to take a puddle jumper, and normally those tickets are more expensive, but not right now. So. Yeah, that's nine hundred. Yeah, yeah. That's and, you, and you get yourself a school bus for uh, when you go to the car rental place, so it'd be great. <laughs> or a dump truck, or a dump truck if they're low. So that's what I, that's what happens to me whenever. I go. The, um, Shit. <laughs> All right. Um, so that's what Timmy's doing. I'm uh, I'm rewriting my class today. I have to. It, the class is now four hours long wow and uh it's good but and it's dense too there's so much shit in that class and so last night i stayed up late doing an outline for it um and i've got to i've got to rework it to be able to get it down into two and a half hours so yeah i have no yeah, idea it was a long time i have no idea how i'm gonna do it but what's interesting about it is when i do it and and i have like staff and co's comment to me about this and officers they say you know, so this shit's long. And I say, yeah, I know. And they say, no, but it's it's awesome class. And th- then they say this. But what was interesting was they paid attention the whole fucking time. <laughs> and I said, hey, that's a that's a, a tough that's a tough trick to pull off, man. Well, I mean, but it it tells you. I think the first thing, there's so much of this shit in their lives. Um. That's why they, that's their motivation for paying attention. They're not paying attention because because oh this just seems to be interesting today. They're paying attention because they they live this shit. And the, the other thing is the art of using your sense of humor and being funny. Like all my little anecdotes. Yeah, well I guess uh, I can tell you why you get emotional, Mac. You want to have sex with your mother, right? Let me tell you, <laughs> that's a fucking crowd pleaser every time, right? Right. <laughs> so and then so, so the. Go ahead. No, I was going to say we now have three three things to believe in: the First Amendment, boobs, and post-traumatic one. There's three. Well, let me tell you, three I've positives. I've been I've been approached by two life coaches who saw who've watched the five hours on that that I have that that uh, that I produced, and they're mm-hmm. and they're like out of their minds about it. One's been a social worker for twenty years, and she's told me she said. This is the best shit I've ever seen in my life. Social work comes out of that that system. She said, so much of what we do is bullshit. Yeah. Bullshit. And she said, and, and then she was telling me, what did she tell me? She said, you know, I do this thing for alcoholics. And she has this huge thing. I won't tell you what it is or anything because I don't want to out anybody. But she says, you know who formed the majority of my, uh, of my, of the people in this thing? I said, who? She said, therapist, yoga instructors, and there's one other thing. She said, that's where they go. That's where broken people go. Um, to uh, And maybe doctors. I don't know. I, I might not be doctors. But she said, the people that go to be healers are trying to mend themselves first. Yeah. That's why I have so much problem with priests. They're trying to, they're trying, you know, the priests get into trouble um, 
a lot of that is, especially with the child, uh, you know, abuse stuff, you know, is uh, because, you know, they have those urges and they're trying to, to do away with it by becoming, you know, a, uh, you know, a, a person who would heal something like that. And it, it just doesn't work. Right, right. So it was, I, I, it was an interesting observation on her part. And I told her a, a story. I said, you know, I went out with a, a girl who was in an, a yoga instructor. So we're out one night. Uh, with with a bunch of her friends, and they're all yoga instructors, right? And and so we're at some place doing something at a birthday party or something. That's like a dream come true, man. Well, but they're all on antidepressants. <laughs> oh, even even more so. <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> and and so it dawned on me, like, wait a minute, all these people that are holistic healing people are all on antidepressants. Like, what the fuck is going on? Yes. And it was like it was it was not a. It was not a small group, right? It was, it was you know, fairly. So, anyway, I just thought it was interesting. Interesting stuff. So, all right, guys. First of all, uh, thanks for hopping on today. And uh, we will talk tomorrow or because uh, I think that's when William can join us. And But I will up, I will update you on. Uh, on yeah, on, thank on, God his mom's doing better, man. Yeah. Yeah, Will's yeah. mom's, yeah. Will's mom yeah, got sick. Sure. And Will, being the good son that he is, he uh, drove to New York. And uh, is uh, helping his dad out, and uh, so, but his uh, mom is doing better. So, uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to uh, Will's mom and and dad and his their whole family. But uh, Will's a good kid. So, uh, so in spite <laughs> in spite of him, right, getting into uh, Lieutenant Kenny all those all those times, uh, Will's a good guy. <laughs> Will's a good guy. All right, guys, thanks. Uh, yeah. Have a great day, Mac. You see bet. you, Jeff. See you, Timmy. See you, Mac. You bet. There they are, the Mensa brothers here on a uh, on a uh, today Wednesday. Today's Wednesday. That'll do it. That's the wrong music. That's the right music. All right. If you're just tuning in, you got to wait about thirty seconds while I while I put this thing on loop. But, uh, yeah, you'll get to hear us talk about the history of the ID in a couple of different theaters. Um, you can hear us uh, wax eloquent about uh, Don Rumsfeld. It's not very eloquent. Don Rumsfeld and uh, Harry Reid. Um, and just enjoy the... Uh, intellectual depth of the Mensa, two of the three Mensa brothers. So, and they'll come back tomorrow. So have a great day. On a Wednesday, All Marine Radio, out.